This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The banking sector is one that still draws quite a bit of scrutiny from the public and from the government. It's been interesting times since the banking crisis and the recession, yet it's an even more amazing time for the industry because of all the changes due to big data, the addition of online payment systems, and much more. Jamie Moldovsky is the chief marketing officer for Wells Fargo. She's on campus speaking today, uh, a Penn grad, and good to have her in the studio for a little while. Great. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be back. Nice to be back. Yeah, even <laughs> changes in, a little bit. Weather is better too. That's true too. It changes a little bit. It's, I mean, some of the buildings are, are the same. Some of the buildings are the same, but it looks a lot nicer. Yeah. <laughs> what What's the most amazing thing for you in the in the banking sector right now? Because I mean, there's so many things going on, and obviously, the financial crisis and coming back from that is one topic. But big data and and, and all the technological additions has to be just incredible to kind of see them play out. Yeah, it's astounding when you think about what historically was a very paper-based business. Yeah. Banking used to be, you know, deposit slips and checkbooks and today you don't even say checkbook to a millennial because they don't know what that is. And so it's all about do ba- their do debit ban- card and do, their Do banks still produce We che- do still produce You still checks. have to do yeah. that. Yeah, and you know cuz grandma still sends a check to her grandson or yeah. her granddaughter that has to get deposited and but all of our branches and all of our systems are all digitized now and and it's been a real focus of ours not just because it's more efficient but because it's really much more effective in dealing with customers who expect it to be immediate, expect it to be easy and yeah. convenient. Um, so that's certainly one of the biggest changes. And then the other, I think, is just the interesting challenges from a regulatory standpoint uh, that require us to to do what we want to do anyway, which is be a, on the side of the customer and do right. the right things. Right. Uh, but that level of scrutiny certainly is um, significantly higher than it had been in the past. And, and obviously a lot of consumers, when, when they're thinking about the banking industry, you know that that view is still probably not as good as it as you guys would like it to be. It's probably gotten better over the yeah. last seven years or so, but but it's probably if it's not point number one that you're working on, it's one yep. a. It's one that, that, that you have to think about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because trust is so core to what we do. I mean, if you're going to entrust an, uh, a company with your money, basically, right, and trust that it's going to be there when you need it and it's going to grow as much as you need it to grow. Yeah, uh, that's really important, and and trust is the underpinning of that. And so we spend a lot of time letting our customers know that we're on their side and helping them be smarter and be more in control of their own financial future so that you know, they can do the things they want to do. But you're right. Trust has, was really eroded. You know, we enjoy probably the highest trust of the large banks, certainly in our industry, mm-hmm. but nowhere near the trust levels of a Google or an Amazon or some of the other sure. you know, institutions that really set that bar. How do you build that even further from where it is now? You know, we really, for us, it's a lot about our culture. Uh, We have a very strong culture, which is around doing the right thing, putting the customer at the center of everything we do. And it's making that more visible. So a lot of the work we're doing is to show our customers the things that we're doing to help them and to be as transparent as we can be. I think transparency is at the core of it. And certainly the digital revolution has enabled that, which is people feel like they can and should be able 
to see everything every minute of the day if they want to. And so yeah. our job is to say, yeah, absolutely, and to give them access to things like alerts or anything that helps them know where they stand um, mm-hmm. is something that's going to both engender trust but also make their lives better. But that also means that that the company, whether it be Wells Fargo or any other banking institution, has to make, a, and I'm sure has had, has done, has made a huge investment in the security that, that are based around all of these systems. And there are so many companies out there that, and not necessarily in the banking industry, I don't think you can be in the banking industry, but there's so many companies out there that still kind of take a, okay, that's nice, but it's not the most important thing I have to worry about. And it can't be that way these no, days. Absolutely. And, you know, because people do entrust us with their financial future, um, it really is job number one is is today around security and in particular cybersecurity. And so we yeah. certainly have doubled and tripled down on that. Uh, we've been around 160 plus years. I think yeah. we're, we're known for being, you know, judicious and prudent with our, our customers, you know, trust on us. Uh, so we spend a lot of money on that. I think the other thing that's really important is we're also trying to innovate around what's the most co- secure but also convenient way for people to you know, validate and verify who they are. And so sure. biometrics is becoming an increasingly big part of what yeah. we do. And so the days of, you know, having to recite all those different passwords and remember them and <laughs> yeah. remember what your third transaction was last Tuesday yeah, right. uh, are probably going to go away. And being able <laughs> I to I can't use... remember what happened two days <laughs> ago, know, let right? alone a week and a half ago. Exactly. And so what we're finding is giving people a choice ultimately yeah. of – you know, would you like us to do facial recognition or voice recognition or sure. retina scanning or fingerprint, right? All of those are viable options. And any two of those in combination provide an incredibly high level of security, but also makes so much more sense for us to say, Dan, we know you. You don't have to give us numbers. We yeah. actually know you. But is it almost a point where the, the fingerprint, especially with some of the, the, the smartphones out there that have that capability yeah. already built in or retina scan, those may be even better security features to use than the code. They are. Because codes eventually can get broken. Yes, and they are, especially in combinations. So our view of the future is, as with most things, that customers are going to want choice and that we will have a a number of different ways for people to authenticate themselves. And we'll pick let the customer pick two of those, right? right? So maybe for me, it's going to be my voice and my retinal scan, but you still like to use fingerprints. Sure. Um, any two of those provide, along with your phone or your mobile device, right, provide pretty much foolproof you know, evidence that it's you. Yeah. Uh, much more so to your point um, than, you know, historically a password that people sometimes liberally share with their family and friends. So gone will be the days of, of having the 10 questions when you get, you know, the security questions. Those days are going to... That's gonna, our goal. Those are going to fade That's away. That's our goal. Some... We still have a little ways to go on that. And some people still like having passwords, believe it or not, but I think we b- very much believe that biometrics is going to be a much more secure future and also much more natural and intuitive for today's generation as they age. Well, and I was going to ask you... They, that seemingly is a generational step yeah. taking forward because as the older generation that used the checks and, and the four-digit pin and all that stuff, it's kind of moving on and, and, and you know, God bless them, passing away. But nonetheless, yeah. the, the millennial generation wants it different. They, Absolutely. They, they, you can't stand pat. And it's better for everybody because, to be honest, it is more secure. It is faster. It is easier. Um, and, you know, most of our over 40 percent of our employees, our team members, we call them, are millennials. So the way sure. we do business is not only how our customers want us to do business, but how our team members want us to do business. So it works on both sides. And I think, as we said, it makes it more secure. It makes it easier. And you think about even just the digital wallet, you know, what yeah. will that look like five years from now? What about the whole the whole mobile payment platform that that has just engulfed? And, and, and it's funny, even though it's engulfing what we do. 
it seemingly is still got a long way to go because, you know, there are various systems out there that you right. have for your phone, your smartphone. The banks, I think, are, are, are more wanting to get into this this realm and just not leave it to the point of, of Apple or Google and, and those companies to do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, Wells Fargo is a great example where we, we play with everybody. We'll support everybody because yeah. we'll support our customers and we'll be where our customers want us to be. And if they want... Samsung Pay or Google Pay or Android Pay will be there for them. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we feel that people don't necessarily want to have all of those different platforms. And yeah. is there a way that those come together that's simpler and easier for a customer? And so we absolutely are working on our own solutions to that because we do believe that all of the, the ecosystem of someone's financial life, whether it's all the, their deposits and yeah. their loans and their mortgage, having all that together with your payments actually makes things a lot better and a lot easier. And today they're sort of being forced by all these different players to keep all that sort of separate. So I think we do believe right. there's a great opportunity to bring that together in a better way and, in the future. And it is. It, it's the it, literally it's the philosophy of bringing everything under one roof right. so that it's not out there in a, in a variety of different forms. Right. Exactly. I mean, because if you think about today and, you know, a lot of the auto manufacturers as examples are pairing up with you know, one or more of these uh, mobile wallet or digital players, it makes it very hard as a consumer because suddenly you have to choose a car because of who you bank with or how you, what your mobile wallet is. And that doesn't make any sense at all. And so right. getting to a more ubiquitous platform, I think for Wells has always been something we wanted to do is we, you know, we bank one out of three consumers in the U.S., right? So we, yeah. we want to be ubiquitous. We want to be able to serve everybody in a, the way that's easiest and simplest for them. One of the things we've talked a lot about, especially in the last week, it has been uh, the gender inequity issue. And you being a, a, a female in the C-suite yep. with, with a major bank, yeah. how do you view the problem and how do you view the correction of the problem over the next 20 years or so? Yeah, it's a great question. And it was interesting. I was with some folks from Wharton this morning and we were talking about the same thing. I mean, Wells, I'm, I'm proud to say it was one of the, I believe, the most diverse board in the Fortune 500. We have an extremely diverse board. Um, which we've put together very consciously. You know, we believe, again, because we serve everybody, right, yeah. we really do serve virtually everyone, uh, that we have to reflect that, right, in our, that our, the composition of our leadership has to mirror that of the communities we serve. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest leap is when companies and organizations realize that they can't effectively serve their constituents without reflecting that diversity, whether it's yeah. gender um, or other ethnic diversity, right? And so, but I think what's needed is much more of a conscious effort to do so. And so yeah. a great example that, you know, we are much more focused on our senior women leaders being on outside boards. Yeah. Because right now there's a dearth of women on, on corporate boards. Sure. So how do we make sure we're encouraging our women executives to go on boards? So it's not just being on the board uh, of Wells Fargo Correct. and being involved there. It's being on the board of Girl Scouts exactly. or whatever the community organization yeah. would be outside because that kind of expands the, the, the thought process. Yeah. And I'll tell a great story. We had one of our um, very senior leaders in our middle market business. Um, you know, they, they tend to deal with CFOs. And the, at large, the CFO population tends to be male, tends yeah. to be white male. Um, and they hired this wonderful Asian woman who um, brought to the company all of her relationships with the Asian community. Hmm, and as a result, great. Wells Fargo now has a significant share in that market, yeah. which we would never have had if we hadn't had somebody who actually understood understood and was connected to that community. And so I think having some champions internally that can bring that point of view in yeah. and then an organization being open to it is the other piece, which is much more of a cultural, I think, challenge that um, has to get overcome. In, in terms of, uh, of the marketing for uh, for a major bank, how has that changed over the last decade or so because of 
of the digital nature that that pretty much everybody is linked to these days. Even I mean, look, my mom is. I'm not going to say how, but you know, I'm 49. <laughs> my mom is more digital than she was 10 years ago, and so yeah. you know, it's a big shift for a lot of people, especially a lot of older people. Yeah, it is a big shift, and you know, it's really interesting because I think it used to be historically right that banks, in particular, had branches. And that was yeah. that was how you marketed. Yeah, you had these right. big, big branches that people could see, and they knew their money was safe. And you knew the tellers. You and, knew the tellers, yeah, and that's yeah. still important. But what we find is now what you almost want is the big sign, but the smaller branch, because sure. what you yeah. want is for people to know you're there, know your money's there. But in fact, you know, many, many of our transactions, most of our transactions by far, occur digitally. And so what's changed, I think, is our ability to be where our customers are when they want us, right. as opposed to either pulling them in or, or trying to find them, you know, on our terms. Not it's being always intrusive on, on it term. as well. Yes. Yeah. And also, you know, really understanding. And if we know that somebody is looking at Zillow and, and house shopping, then when they come to Wells Fargo, we should show them a pre-approved mortgage. Sure, yeah. Right? That, that right. reflects that we know them. Yeah. Um, and so how do we make sure that we're presenting things that are relevant and meaningful when and where they want them as opposed to sort of offering products and services that we think might be needed or necessary? Then that, That's the nice part of the digital um, era, right? Is but, that we're able to do that. But still, a lot of the traditional methods of marketing are, are still very yeah. effective methods today. Yeah. It's just that they've been tweaked a little bit, right? Yeah. And I think what they reflect, they certainly reflect the, you know, multi-screen viewing, right? So certainly even when we do advertising, we are often matching that up against digital experience on mobile yeah. right, or tablets. So they, yeah. because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at my kids, they're never just watching TV. I mean, they're, they've got at least two or three different things going on at once. Exactly right. So we have to be on those two or three different things and make it much more engaging. But interestingly, you know, we still do spend uh, a fair amount of money on traditional TV advertising. Now, we, it's, we've changed the media mix quite a bit. Sure. But that's because people do still watch live sports and people do still watch live events. Yeah. And when they do, they engage much more emotionally and for longer than they do when they're on a mobile device where their attention yeah. span is more, you know, seven seconds or six or seven seconds. Well, the other interesting piece of that is if you head about, I don't know, maybe about 10 miles south of here, not even maybe, about five miles south of here, there's a little arena that's in South Philadelphia that's kind of got your company's name it on does. it. You know, and, and that's one yeah. of, of several arenas that yeah. I know that, that have the Wells Fargo brand on that. Those relationships, how important are they to the overall? Because you're talking about a, a lot of events, you yeah. know, maybe 250 events a year that people are coming to and they associate they associate the brand with the arena. Right. And hopefully they're all great events, right? Yeah. And they yeah. have a good association. But to your point, I think one of the important things too is as much as things are very digitally oriented, things are also very local. And so what we see is this kind of bifurcation between what people want to experience digitally, and yet people want to very much still be part of their community. And so for us, investments like the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia and other other sponsorships that we do are all about being part of that local fabric, yeah. that people see us and experience us. We're a major sponsor now of Major League Soccer, uh, which sure. has been a great way for us to connect on things that are passion points for a lot of our customers, for millennials, yep. for uh, Hispanics, who really are passionate about soccer. Now Wells Fargo gets to be part of that passion point. We're talking with Jamie Moldowski, Pengrad, and also is uh, the chief marketing officer here at uh, Wells Fargo uh, on campus. Uh, we're talking with her about uh, the banking industry and the changes that have been seen within that. The other interesting thing about Wells Fargo Center here in Philadelphia is the fact that there's this little thing of the DNC coming here to Philadelphia, which it, it's another interesting point uh, of the marketing that 
is a byproduct. I mean, when you when Wells Fargo put their name on that arena a decade ago, right. that wasn't part of it. That's correct. But you know, it's it's a it's a nice byproduct. Yeah, it is. And it, as you said, we we tend not to choose things from a political standpoint at yeah. all. Um, but it happens to be that it's a great venue, and yeah. you know, the Democratic Party obviously is excited to use that venue, and we're honored to have our name associated with it, simply because it's a good part of the community. What are the ways, though, that 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 you see? your job and the business of reaching to the consumer changing even more in the next few years, because I I can't imagine that, I mean, the internet's here and it's a huge piece of what everybody does, but it's, it's not something you sit on and, and just kind of ride the wave. Right. Right. I'd say the biggest single thing that is hard for any organization now is just the speed of change. Right. And the, and the ability and the willingness to, engage with your customers in purely in engaging and not it's not about selling it's not about um, teaching or it's simply engaging and it's helping provide the information and the tools that those individuals need when they need them and I think the hardest part as a marketer today is that that's often real time yeah and that consumers expect you to know them they expect you to know everything about them yeah and that you know on our level we're very conservative about that because we take privacy very seriously. We're dealing with financial services. Sure. We want people we want people to trust us. So it's there's a fine line between how much we know about them and how much we're willing to leverage what we know about them. And so we always have to respect that line. And so I think for us one of the biggest challenges is just around this data. I mean we have six billion transactions a year through our yeah. bank. Um, you know, how much of that information do we use and how do we use it? How do we make sure we entrust, we earn the trust of our customers and how yeah. we use that information? And, and banks have become like a lot of businesses. Uh, they have realistically become their own tech company as well. Right. Absolutely. No, we are a major investors in technology. And I think we see technology as being the way in which we can engage with our customer. Now, what's interesting is our branches still are vitally important to us because yeah. people actually, when there's something important in their life, they actually want to talk to people. You know, and another interesting fact is we our our team members give about 1.8 million hours of their life volunteering in their community, yeah. and that's important because people actually want to see the company as people. Yeah. And as much as there's this you know tendency to say, yeah, I can do whatever I want to do online, or I can do it through mobile. At the end of the day, when you're talking about your money and whether it's financing an education or buying your first house or getting your first car, yeah. you often want to talk to somebody and you want to know that there's somebody there who's going to help you through it. So, so it's, it's amazing to see that multi-channel um, opportunity. And the branch itself, as much as it's changed, and obviously there have been stories in the last few years about various banks you know, trimming down the number of branches that they have – it's not even, I don't even say necessary evil, but it's a necessary piece to what has to go forward for the banks, no matter how long out we're talking about, 50 yeah. years, 75 years, no matter you know how far you go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know what's fascinating for me to watch is just that you see so many pure play digital companies opening up physical locations now. Yeah. And part of that is because people do actually want to experience, it's like why movie theaters haven't gone away. People actually yeah. do want to do things in together with other people in a social or... Um, interactive setting that's different than just purely digital. We're talking with Jamie Moldowski, who's the CMO of Wells Fargo. Uh, we're talking to her about uh, the banking industry. Uh, in terms of security, uh, as important as it is, what are the next steps that, that you have to look at, especially with, as we said before, the heightened watch of the government on the banking industry right now? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, as I said, we 
treat our customer security as the most important thing, right? It has to be the single most important thing. Yeah. Um, but but with that, right, comes tremendous responsibility. And so how are we making sure from a data standpoint um, and certainly just from a financial standpoint that we, you know, stay are stable and sound and yeah. that we're protecting our customers' assets? And I think we feel, you know, certainly when you see all of the um, – startups that are out there, particularly in the fintech space, right? Yeah. There are a lot of them out there. And, yeah. and in some ways, people will borrow money from anybody. But I think there's a very high bar of where you put your money. And I think that's why banks, as you said, still exist. Um, it's why Wells Fargo still invests in those physical locations. Um, yeah. And it's why we are investing so heavily in security right now, because it's um, and we work with obviously all the government agencies to make sure that we have the latest access to the right information to do that. I would think that understanding uh, of knowing how important the security aspect of it is whenever that happened in the last you know 10 or 15 years that that it had to be an immediate switch yeah it, it couldn't be like a lot of companies as i was saying earlier they kind of dip their toe in the water and, and they understand over a period of five years or so that it becomes more important for you because of money and customer relationships it had to be immediate yeah it was absolutely immediate and significant i mean we really are investing significant amounts of money into proactively focusing on our customer security. And a lot of it is the proactive piece because you could wait for things that regulations to be passed and you could wait for people to tell you what to do. But what's going to make the difference is that you're out there proactively looking for ways to make sure that you've got the right firewalls. Within yeah. our firewall, we've got the right detection. Um, and within that detection, we've got the right response back to our customers. And so it's really, it's a proactive and an innovation opportunity. I would think though that, that, the fact that you guys are, for the most, you're a West Coast based bank. Yeah. I, I would think that there is a little bit of advantage. Not that we're saying anything disparaging about right. all the entities that are up in right. New York City, but the fact that you're not realistically that, and because there was so much focus on that several years ago, yeah, that's a benefit for you. It's great. You know, it is really great being on the West Coast. I think from that standpoint, I do think you know we've always thought of ourselves, and I think. In general, the public thinks of us as kind of a Main Street bank. It's our it's our legacy. Sure, yeah. It's our West heritage, um, and now being in you know based in San Francisco, I do think we get the benefit of working very closely with obviously a lot of not only financial technology firms but sure. broad technology, and it it keeps us thinking much more about those how that space is evolving, yeah. in addition to being a bank. And so I think you know you can get lulled into kind of being within your own industry. Yeah. I think one of the most important things we do is continually look outside our industry, which is what does the customer expect and want. Yeah. Not even from a financial industry, you know, firm, but just in general, general wants. In yeah. general, yeah. what is it the consumers want right now? And that that's what we're focused on is how do we deliver to that standard, not yeah. to necessarily the standard of our industry. Because if you build that relationship up, it, it, it makes it easier for the consumer to stay with you when they're talking about protecting their money. Right. And we always say we don't want to be one of the world's great banking brands, which we are. We want to be one of the world's great brands. Yeah. We really want to be the, a partner in many things for our customers. How big also has been the, the, the concern uh, of the investment dollar for the consumer in terms of, you know, a lot of people coming out of the recession, the 401ks, 403bs, all those security accounts, which were doing very well. They obviously took a little bit of a hit. How important is not only the the understanding for people of that, but the you know the education and the continued touch yeah. that you have to have with your consumers yeah. on that specific topic alone? Yeah, it's it's a great great point. I mean, we are the third largest brokerage firm, right? Full service brokerage firm, and um, you know, as with all, we've seen some of those ups and downs in that. But to your point, we're really focused on, and it's funny we've kind of really shifted away from this idea of financial literacy because. That's just putting information out there to really mm -hmm. financial health. And to your point, what people want to know is that they're financially healthy. 
Yeah. And that that means that they have a line of sight to what it is they're going to need, how they're going to get there, and that they have a feeling that they're on a path. Now, that path is going to amble and go different ways, but if we can help them get on a path that we can be there with them for, then they ride through these ups and downs a little yeah. better. And I think you know, you can't avoid them, um, but they really do rock people to their core. And whether it was the mortgage industry in the in the late 2000s or sure. the you know, the market right now, um, what we find is that that's when people really do want somebody who's there, who knows what these cycles are like, yeah. who can ride it through. But the financial literacy terminology, yeah. that's one that we talk a lot about here because it's important for the kids, yeah. my kids, your kids, yep. of all those kids to have a better understanding. The OECD report from, from a year or so ago was one that kind of kind of really jarred a lot of people that yeah. financial literacy here in the United States was not as right. high as it needed to be. Well, and that's why we're really focused on financial health, because if yeah. you're a, a kid, you get the notion of being healthy. I mean, you get that notion of you have a Fitbit, sure. you know what that means. Yeah. We've, ide we've identified standards of what being financially healthy looks like. So what does that look like? What should your FICO score be or, or your credit score be? Yeah. How much savings should you have? And it's more than just financial education. It actually is a way to think about your health and your financial health in a different way that's less intimidating, I think a yeah. little less um, school marmish. People you know, don't like being told <laughs> what to do, like you should go do this. And, yeah. and what we're finding is it's a much more engaging way for millennials in particular to engage in that content. It's all it takes is one small step, right? Sure. One little thing to get started. And I think we're finding that that language of one little thing is a lot more welcoming. That's good. You know, it's taking that first step as opposed to this enormity of how you're supposed to have a 401k and plan for your future when you're yeah. 22 years old. Great to have you here. Great, Great to have you back on campus. Nice Thank meeting you. you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.